3CR Community Radio, 855am. This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55am, Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Welcome to the Beyond Zero Emissions Community Show, and salut Babette! This is a critical turning point in the resistance to climate catastrophe and I'm glad to stand on the solid foundations of Beyond Zero Emissions research. The student strikers and unions are calling on our leaders to listen to the scientists. And when these leaders are desperate, they will also want to listen to the engineers and entrepreneurs who contribute to Beyond Zero Emissions blueprints for the future. We are a think tank underpinning the transitions that you will soon see, I hope, in industry, transport, utilities and farming, unless it's too late. My name is Vivian Langford and I'm reporting on the September 20th strike for climate action in Sydney. I'd like to pay my respects to the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation from whose land we are broadcasting tonight. The First Nations speaker addressing a crowd that filled the domain was Gadrian Hooson. I remember interviewing him years ago. He was a young man down from Borolula, which is three days' trip away, and he was protesting the poisoning of the MacArthur River. Now he looks like a statesman, and the most climate-changing issue for him is fracking for gas in the Northern Territory, which is a massive challenge. To stand with all people of the world, indigenous people, students and workers, unions, all striking for the climate and Mother Earth. Why would we want a treaty to a government that, are, that want to destroy our land? A government that lifted the moratorium in the Northern Territory on fracking. A government that taught us our young people, water is life. Together we united as a climate justice family, we will win and we will survive. The Pacific Island warrior who spoke to us next was called Salome. She had a haunting presence that stilled the crowd. She dressed in a beige and white tapper cloth and had white shells at her throat. She seemed cool and controlled amongst a solid wall of impressive Pacific people standing behind her and beside her with bright pink and red flower crowns and flags of many nations like Samoa, Fiji, Tonga, Niue, Tuvalu and many others. We are going to continue to stand and fight for our islands. We are not drowning. We are fighting. We are on the forefront of climate change. And we have been leading this fight against climate change. Our youth has taken it upon themselves to raise awareness and take action. We are the Matangi Malohi, warriors, protectors, leaders. Australia should be ashamed of their support for Adani. Australia should be ashamed of ignoring the indigenous people of this land for economical gain. 
Faith, the Matangi Malohi, that pushes us forward. We are strong winds in this movement. We are Matangi Malohi. I'm going to get my family up here to help me out with this one, okay? And all of you as well, if you can catch on. We are not drowning! We are not drowning! We are not I'm a wealthy down at Port Botany, but I spent most of my career working in the seafaring industry on fossil fuel projects. I'm a proud member of the MUA, and even more so because as I speak, not one of our cranes is moving in our workplace. We voted to take industrial action today because our company continues to strip and try and attack our work conditions. They even had the nerve to send out an email last night and tell us that if anyone attended this rally, that would be considered illegal industrial action. Well, here we are. Here we are showing solidarity with everyone here today. I spoke to some young Tongan women and a man from Niue. What are people saying back in Tonga about the world kind of turning their back on, you know, doing really climate action, they're still exporting fossil fuels from Australia, for example? Oh, it's um, very heartbreaking in Tonga because it's felt, it feels like we're being left behind and we're not being heard. So for us to be here today and to help um, be involved in here where we can make a change, it's really good for our Tongan community. Yeah. yeah. My piece of land in the island has been taken by the sea and I have no choice but to be here. Which island? Tonga. From Tonga. Well, I come from the island of Niue where we have... Um, accommodated uh, a community of Tuvalu people uh, who are displaced by the climate change and um, we're, we're, I'm here for them, I'm here for our island people, uh, I'm here for our children and our grandchildren. Uh, a lot of our politicians and leaders have no idea what it's like to, to lose land and land it's, uh, it's our dignity. As my brother here has shared with you a lot of funua, uh, uh, you know, the, the placenta of our people buried in the land have been washed away. And there's a connection that, that we do have with land. Land for us is, you know, it's our identity. Uh, and to lose that, you know, it's devastating. Politicians here don't have no idea what it means uh, to, to lose land and to be threatened uh, by climate change. I think economics for these people trumps lives. The media I saw reported this as a children's event and managed to still tut-tut about missed lessons and homework. But I'm here to tell you they had done tons of homework. They'd created allies among the unions and church groups and this new combination of people unified around climate action was dazzling. Did you hear, for example, what the MUA did at Port Botany on that day? I'm a wealthy down at Port Botany, but I spent most of my career working in the seafaring industry on fossil fuel projects. I'm a proud member of the MUA, and even more so because as I speak, not one of our cranes is moving in our workplace. We voted to take industrial action today because our company continues to strip and try and attack our work conditions. They even had the nerve to send out an email last night and tell us that if anyone attended this rally, that would be considered illegal industrial action. Well, here we are. Here we are showing solidarity with everyone here today. 
I wanted to know why so many unions had come out on strike. The simplest answer was that they have children and they see clearly the future of many industries, but the CFMEU had this to say. Eventually, in 5 to 10 to 15 years, there'll be no uh, coal production worldwide, simply because it's uh, uh, been indicated by the 88% of the scientists and 85% of the population. Many unionists and workers are impacted by climate change already. One man from the Metal Workers Union told me, just imagine working down inside the giant iron hulk of a ship. It's over 40 degrees and you have to knock off. But they've got non-union men going on working past 40 degrees in a heatwave just to get the job done. The ETU man told me about solar farms in Queensland where they're employing unqualified overseas casuals on $10 an hour. They're not electricians. He said it's dangerous and I hope the people who say the transition to renewable energy is easy and cheap will take this on board. We don't want it to be so cheap that we later regret the dodgy work done over there. Here's the ETU. But it takes some intestinal fortitude. It takes some realistic leadership. It takes policies to do that. And at the moment, we've got a government that has none of that. My father was a coal miner. I did my apprenticeship in the coal mines. I worked in those regional communities. I understand their reliance on the biggest economic drivers in their towns and their regions. I get their concerns about what's happening. But I also understand those workers want change as well. And they want the government to invest in renewables. They want to have the capacity to work in other industries as well to have the same fundamental confidence in their future. And there's nothing wrong with asking for that. And there's nothing wrong with what they want to do moving forward into the future. We've got to achieve a truly just transition. I congratulate you on your efforts today. Let our collective voices be heard right across this planet. Let's make sure politicians of all ilk understand that their job security is at risk unless they start making change now. I Has your organisation been interviewed on 3CR? Your band played live to air. Have you heard your latest song? Groups like yours can now become 3CR organisational subscribers. Just $110 gets your organisational group behind Melbourne's longest-running activist radio station. 3CR gives access and training to communities traditionally denied a voice in the mainstream media. Get online at 3cr.org.au or call 94198377 and become an organisational subscriber. Show Show your your love, love, 3CR. You're listening to Radio 3CR and we're reporting from the 20th of September strike in the Domain, Sydney. My name is Vivian Langford. I saw a banner about apocalypse carried by a young woman from the uh, Australian Services Union. Hi, so I'm just a member of the ASU but I'm actually working as a support worker today, um, striking 
with a whole bunch of other support workers from our service fighting chance. We've got 20 uh, young casuals coming out today because um, we really strongly believe that people with disability will be the first to be affected by negative climate events. And we're already seeing that happening um, in Australia, the Murray-Darling crisis, severe storm events. Um, so, like, obviously we're not directly related to environmental or, like, fossil fuel industries, but every service is going to be affected by this. You've got a big poster here saying the apocalypse will not be accessible. I think in the apocalypse, I'd I'd prefer to be dead, but, you know, community and support workers for just transition. So what, what services do you do? What services do I do? So as a support worker, we support people with disabilities to make choices in their lives, whether they are like um, they have a physical disability or they're living with an intellectual disability. We run a work skills program to get people comfortable in work environments. Yeah, so the apocalypse uh, will not be accessible is obviously like a very like vulgar statement. Um, I don't actually believe that the climate crisis is an apocalypse. Um, you know, like the earth is really huge and we, we don't actually know exactly how this is going to play out. But what I do know is that if governments cut social welfare services in an austerity reaction to climate crises the first people that suffer are going to be people with disability and it's going to feel really apocalyptic to them so that's why I've chosen this like quite inflammatory uh, sentence here today. Melbourne listeners mightn't realise that there's actual water shortages in New South Wales and Queensland some towns have run out of water. We've been hitting as many towns as we can uh, but with really little resources we're just taking bottled water basic supplies the government isn't doing anything in the area so this is a really grassroots um, level action that we've been doing essentially what's happening in the area is cotton farmers are being given huge water rights to suck out water and they're putting it in massive dams they've cleared the forests so like obviously the root systems aren't holding that water in place it's just a really holistic devastation that's happening in that area there were a lot of church groups there as well, and many parents and grandparents. You know, I feel for my son as well. I often think, you know, he's 18 years old. You know, what kind of world is he going to be living in when he's my age, you know, when he's in his 60s? You know, we've, we've lived the good life, and uh, the younger generation are reaping the, out, the outcome of our frivolous approach to the environment. I think that the climate is so important to our generation and to the future and we need to work together to improve it because our government is not helping us in that matter. Obviously this is such a big thing to myself and generations before but it's also so important for generations to come as well. Yeah, I've got one that my little son is one and my daughter's five. United Voice Union. You can probably not really hear very well, but would you like to tell us what you uh, do and why your members would be affected by climate change? Yeah, no, our members are here to uh, uh, provide solidarity for the students. Um, we think it's a really important issue. Climate change is affecting so many jobs across our economy. Government inaction has just been unacceptable. Uh, we need to listen to young people and to back them in. I've spoken to some people who, for example, shipbuilders, and they said that heat gets intolerable in a heat wave. You just have to not just stop work. Yeah. But then there are other workers who are not actually unionised who will do that work and are expiring. Yeah, that's right. Across the board, you know, like everybody is grappling with the impacts. Cleaners who turn up to buildings uh, where the air conditioning isn't on. Uh, some of our members work in manufacturing. 
our members provide home care, you know, they're out on the road in their car and so what's happening in the climate has a big impact on the work of so many people. As I walked along, I remembered what the students I've spoken to recently said. They felt quite gutted by the defeat of progress at the so-called climate election. I'd spoken to teachers who were struggling with making the syllabus more relevant to the future these students are walking into, and I've seen students going to union meetings in the evening, listening to how hard it is for workers to make the transition out of working on oil rigs or in coal and gas drilling. How strike action is punished here. And I think, gee, these kids are getting an education into the realities of our system that I never had when I was 14 years old. And I admire them. And then I found the president of the Teachers' Federation holding up one end of a banner. Teachers take it very, very seriously. And just because there's people who aren't here today doesn't mean they're not as committed. I know there are schools where the kids are being uh, shown documentaries today about climate change and the teachers are doing that kind of action. Our, our members throughout New South Wales are having meetings in every school, uh, sending off messages to the, to the politicians. Even though the students are leading, they've got to understand that the adults are behind them. And it's a great de- demonstration of, of uh, civic action, Gra- a great example of educating them on, the, on civics. What was your response to today's huge turnout, including unionists, people from Pacific Islands, little children, university people, everybody? This, is, this movement will only grow, and any politician who ignores it ignores it at their own peril. This will be the movement that will throw governments out who ignore the movement. This is too critical issue. These young people will become tomorrow's voters, and they'll turf out any politician who ignores them. So we've got politicians who are ignorant of the science of climate change. It'll be the children, the students, who'll be teaching these politicians a lesson when it comes to climate change. Thank you. So that was the, what you, the head of the Teachers' Federation. President of the Teachers' Federation. And then I saw a sign saying, I'm a concerned scientist, which led me to... I am a scientist, and the science is as good as science ever, you know, as settled as it ever gets. Uh, and it, the time for postponing action or having discussions as to when we might start action is long past. And I think uh, it is time for uh, civil uh, action and pressure to actually force the issue because we're, you know, starting to run out of time. <laughs> What sort of science do you do? Uh, I'm a geographer uh, and I work on um, urban sustainability and um, issues around housing but also issues around how we uh, stay cool in cities in an increasingly uh, warm world and the equity issues of that and the fact that our cities and the impacts of climate change are not uh, homogenous and there are communities who are going to be more impacted than others. Um, So there's a massive social justice issue uh, in play here. Um, and so, yeah, I work on ways that we can uh, help communities to stay cool um, and how we can plan uh, cities that are able to stay cool and keep people uh, well in a warming climate. Well, I've met a lot of people today who are from out of western New South Wales talking about the water climate crisis you know and it may not really be caused by climate change though they've had a drought for a long time but um, shortage of water and this is volunteer groups taking water out to these communities so what do you see as like once you've established like okay we need to make the cities cooler or we need to get the water to the people do you think we have to rethink where government fits in with that? 
Well, I think it's a bit of a live experiment, really. Um, I think that we're going to see action have to take forms that maybe we can't even uh, predict at the moment because, yeah, we're... We're in a sort of, uh, I don't think we're in a business-as-usual scenario anymore and um, the historical processes of government might not actually be fast enough or flexible enough to adapt in the ways that we need to. So I think that um, we will see new uh, strategies for adaptation um, and what we need is everyone to basically be um, prepared to take part in those um, rather than... uh, waiting for governments that may not be listening to the people um, to decide to possibly act. Yeah, but the government has the money. They tax us and they have a big amount of money that they can choose which way they're directed. And these are volunteers paying, like the girls out there, $26 for a cart on a water. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's the importance of um, lobbying and voting and particularly getting young people uh, into the polling booths um, and keeping pressure up on the politicians so that uh, those massive collective resources are actually deployed in ways that um, are ecologically and socially beneficial rather than subsidising coal mines or uh, so on. Um, So uh, I think it's going to take multiple strategies. There was a group who are stepping up to answer the water crisis in far new south, far west New South Wales towns where there's a shortage of drinking water and they're talking about day zero. The early bushfires that have already started have meant um, some fires just can't be fought. And then I talked to the PSA. Uh, So in New South Wales, um, there are many communities out in far west New South Wales that haven't had clean, safe drinking water for almost a year now. Um, Some uh, more data has come out about like day zero, like when towns are due to actually run out of water. And there are towns that are going to start running out of water like in the coming months. Ridiculous. And we're going to have absolutely no climate justice in this country without Aboriginal justice. And we need to decolonise and decolonisation needs to be at the forefront of all discussions around climate action and climate justice. So a lot of us have migrant backgrounds a lot of us are settlers we all care about this we all are privileged to you know live on this land and we all benefit from a system that was founded on genocide and violence and you know we have to pay the rent we have to do something reparations like pay the rent we represent about 37,000 state public servants included in those are people that we think or tell us are on the front line of climate change. So we have members that work for various scientific departments studying climate change, whether that's Department of Environment, Department of Industry, but more so we have members employed in national parks, members employed in state forests, and members employed in the Rural Fire Service that are openly battling the or combating the effects of climate change, namely bushfires, on a daily basis already. And we have other members that are employed in various government instrumentalities that monitor and try and distribute water. And New South Wales is currently going through one of the worst droughts in history, uh, no doubt connected to climate change. And so we have a lot of members that are directly affected by climate change, concerned about climate change, and are happy to see their union protesting in this manner. What sort of demands would you be making if uh, you... Is climate change a big thing in your industrial work? Oh, look, I think uh, the simplest demand and where our starting point at the moment is, and I think it's a united chorus here, is the government starts to respect the science. Climate change for us is an indisputable fact, but for some reason that hasn't been heard in Canberra nor in Macquarie Street here in Sydney. 
There were others with a more global perspective. People will be turning on their TVs, going onto the internet this afternoon and seeing it all around the world. There are millions upon millions who share the same views that they have. That probably until yesterday they didn't, they thought they were alone. So I think in that sense it's going to have a really positive impact. I think it's going to have a really positive impact as well. The fact that a lot of these protests uh, have a very strong climate justice focus, which is understanding that uh, whilst we have to tackle the question of climate change, we also have to tackle the question of the huge inequalities that exist in the world today. So if we were serious about tackling climate change, then we also have to be serious about helping a lot of the third world countries that are already suffering the worst impacts of the climate crisis. How? How can we do that? I think there's numbers of ways we can do that. For instance, we should be dramatically escalating the kind of aid that we give to, to third world countries. Not the current aid, which is simply to benefit corporate interest overseas, but actual actual aid to help with uh, you know green projects overseas. We should be not only building a strong renewable sector here in Australia, but helping to transfer that technology to third world countries as well so that they can have the access to that, not using it as a monopoly to make money from there. So I think there's many other ways that, that we can do that. Well, that's just a few ideas that, you know, and I think there are many more that people today will be raising. Are you impressed by this rally? This is a very multiplicitous, diverse group, isn't it? Well, it's exactly the kind of movement that we're going to need if we want to win. So, yeah, it's great to see. OK, I've got someone here who represents AFIDA, which is Union Aid Abroad. Hi, I'm Jill Biddington, and I'm here today because... You know, the climate's important to all of us. I've got kids and I want them to have a better future, but mainly I'm here in solidarity for people in the Pacific. So there's lots of people who live in Pacific Island countries and the sea levels are rising, so I'm here in solidarity with them. And your work abroad, do you think Australia does enough? Well, obviously we don't do enough, but why are we getting it so wrong about the Green Fund, Bernie Sanders says he's going to put billions in, a bit late, but you know they're putting billions into that Green Fund. Why isn't that happening quicker? Or will it happen quicker now, do you think? I think it's not happening because we're so absorbed by market and market data and we're not really looking at human rights and what it's like for communities to survive, you know. Uh, I think that we're letting each other down by being more absorbed in economic competitiveness rather than looking after each other. I'll leave the last word from the rally or strike to Jean and Daisy. They were speaking to a massive crowd that was packed to the furthest line of trees in Sydney's domain. And after that they walked down Macquarie Street in front of the Parliament right down to Hyde Park where there were more uh, music and performances and speeches. Could never have anticipated that we would grow to the size we have today. We want a safe future. Who's with me? <laughs> Sydney, let's show them today that we will not stand by. We will not let our government stand by as our future burns. <laughs> the world is literally on fire. The Amazon is burning, it is only the beginning of spring and already Queensland and New South Wales are on fire and we are expecting worse to come. Bounce are pushing farmers to the brink. Animals are disappearing because water is running out. Extreme heat is putting the most vulnerable in our communities at huge risk. Half of the Great Barrier Reef has been devastated due to climate change heating up our oceans. But that's just today. What about tomorrow? This is predicted to get a lot worse if we don't act now. 
In a terrifying new report due out later this month, the UN predicts that at just one and a half degrees of warming, 200 million people could be displaced by rising sea levels. That's, um, sorry, that's four times the current volume of refugees globally. The number one cause of this crisis is the mining and burning of coal, oil and gas. Which means that our government should be helping move Australia beyond fossil fuels to 100% clean energy and safe, dignified world for everyone who needs it. But instead, they're helping billionaire companies like Adani that put these projects, put all of us in the firing line. Companies who disrespect workers. Companies who are trashing our environment. Companies who do unspeakable things to our First Nations people. And as our government says that we're all sheep who just follow what others say, let's stand together and prove that we care, we're informed, and we aren't backing down. Thank you to the school strikers who gave us such a lot of inspiration on September the 20th. Thank you to Pitt Street Church and to the MUA, who I know hosted many of the meetings leading up to this strike and helping it happen. Silence slipped away with crackling tongues and whispers of flame from worlds tomorrow. Youthful ears happened upon songs unsung and were choked by rising waters swallowed. Naive melodies morphed to dissidents, echoed climatic cataclysms nigh. Polly's lambast when we made a difference caught us brazen of mind and of acolyte eye, but resource greed fossil fueled us to the streets. Harmonized placards and defiant fists formed our puissant ensemble for peace. There were thousands of voices, not a note amiss. And the years of silence have come and been, and with drums we come a marching in. I guess I'm frustrated Thinking about all the places I should have been by now And I'm endlessly waiting Feel like the barrel of dynamite Waiting for flame to come round
a song by Montaigne called Ready. She was adored by the crowd at the climate strike with her pink hair and dainty plucking movements as if she was drawing the highest notes out of the piano. My recording of her song wasn't really broadcast quality, so that was the YouTube official school version, which you can see if you click onto the Beyond Zero Emissions podcast. And now we'll have a change of tone. taking you to Sydney Town Hall, where a group of people had come down from the Northern Territory to tell us about why fracking gas there, which is going to make millions for the companies involved, must not happen because it's going to affect their health, it's taking, uh, affecting their water, and it's really going to affect all of our climate, that gas. But they had come a very long way, and it was a marvellous occasion in Sydney Town Hall. Uh, Millie Telford from Seed, she was the compare, she's very vivacious, and she just got them all talking. Uh, one of the main speakers was Stuart Nugget, and I'm going to play a song by him a bit later called Bunduru. He's a marvellous singer and uh, he had gone, you know, to do the political work, going to talk to Origin Energy and you'll hear what happened then. We'll also hear from Naomi Hogan from Lock the Gate and from Julie Lyford from Groundswell Gloucester. And I want you to just understand that lots of things are happening in New South Wales, out of the eyes of the mainstream media, out of the eyes of city people, but they're momentous things and we need to be on their side. They can't just marshal crowds of 100,000 people out there. These are remote areas, and yet what is happening there is of huge moment to all of us. So please listen now to uh, Millie Telford introducing Stuart Nugget and uh, then we'll hear from Naomi Hogan from Lock the Gates. Oh, and I forgot to tell you, we should have put this at the front of the program because really there was a historic moment just before that week, just before the uh, climate strike, the town of Bylong, which I've been reporting to you. I've been reporting about it to you for maybe five years and Bylong has had a reprieve. The uh, judgment in the um, Land and Environment Court said, no, they couldn't go ahead with that. And I will do a whole um, program about that because it was a great win and it wasn't much highlighted in the media again, but it is quite a wonderful thing that this pristine valley, farming valley, won't be 
mined for coal. The the message that you had and you know you spoke directly to the board of Origin Energy. Um, you know what what was it that you were sharing with them that you were asking of Origin? Just told them that they didn't get permission of me. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I just told them straight in the face that no, you didn't get permission of me. I didn't I didn't lie you to come to my home and destroy my home. Um, and we presented hundreds of signatures from community members all across Elliot and Minyeri and the areas that are um, proposed to be fracked to say, you know, we might just be people um, here in front of you right now, but we are backed by, you know, community members back home who are, you know, here with us in spirit as well. Um, Nicole, what's your message to the room um, tonight um, in how we can take action to be able to support um, this campaign? We can't do it alone anymore. It's time that we all, you know, stand up and put a foot in because we can't do it without help of you. These companies, you know, we're all we're all customers of someone. We're all we all get our electricity from somewhere. So without you, the people who you know are using this gas or who are set up to use this kind of gas. Um, we can't do it without you, and it's time, I think, to take this fight that we're doing and to take it all around, all around the country. Before, yeah, renewables, like, that's, that's what we're actually going to um, be talking about next, and it's a great segue into our next speaker. Naomi Hogan from Lock the Gate. Of messages around how we need this gas and we need to roll over and communities need to put their water supply at risk, their community health at risk, um, and bow down to these massive companies because we need this gas. And what is becoming really, really clear over the years is, in fact, uh, we absolutely don't need any of the gas that they propose to frack out of the Northern Territory. Um, gas fracking and coal seam gas in Australia, since that has started, uh, has only led to driving up our gas prices here in Australia. It linked us to international markets uh, we're experiencing cartel-like behaviour between gas companies who are pushing up our gas prices and destroying communities uh, right across Queensland and now trying to push through uh, the Northern Territory and also in northwest New South Wales. Um, as part of that, gas prices have tripled um, and the gas companies themselves and their shareholders have lost money because fracking is an expensive, polluting, difficult industry. They're losing money and people's lives are being put on the line. Um, we are now the world's biggest exporter of gas. We are swimming in gas, and people are being forced to move over and accept massive fracking gas fields, which will put hundreds and then thousands of fracked wells across country. It is completely unnecessary. What we are also learning from energy experts now is that everything that we currently use gas for, we can absolutely replace with renewable energy. So we know that we can use renewable energy to power our homes. What we're now learning is that we can use renewable energy to power our manufacturing plants. The big users of gas in Australia would actually be saving money and making huge efficiencies if they were producing heat and instead of using gas boilers, were using renewable alternatives. This technology is coming on now. Um, it's not futuristic. It's absolutely um, existing, proven, commercialised technologies that are available now. 
Um, and it's a huge opportunity for Australia. We are one of the sunniest countries in the world. Our solar resources are second to none. And in the Northern Territory, they are exceptional. Um, Beyond Zero Emissions has recently re- uh, done a really exciting report that I commend to you, the 10 gigawatt vision for the Northern Territory, which looks at the Northern Territory not only producing all of its own uh, electricity and manufacturing needs there with renewables, but also exporting solar energy to Singapore and other energy-hungry countries uh, in Asia through deep-sea cables. Uh, There are renewable energy companies lining up right now to invest in this. They don't need subsidies. They don't want any financial support. They're ready because the world is shifting to clean renewable energy. And fracked gas, polluting fracked gas, belongs in the past. And so the work that communities are bravely doing to hold these companies back, uh, the delays that they are causing, every little bit helps because as that happens, renewable technologies are expanding, opportunities to get off gas are expanding, um, and the benefits will be far-reaching for people in providing jobs and opportunities as well as protecting countries so people can look after land. Um, So thank you for what you're doing, and let's get on with... uh, building a renewable future for Australia. Julie Lyford speaks to us about Groundswell, Gloucester. Millie, um, it's an honour to be here meeting on Gadigal land and I'd like to pay my deepest respects to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here tonight and the Elders. I'm privileged to live on Waramai and Biripai country where my husband and I raised our family but it's been a big fight. As a past local government councillor and mayor and now as an activist with Groundswell, Gloucester, I have experienced all levels of government consistently fail and betray our communities. In 1995, Gloucester Coal, now Yang Coal, started their 10-year boutique mine. They are still digging coal 24 years later. Lucas Malopo commenced exploratory CSG fracking in 2004, so here's your hope. Blowing mud and gas out of old coal bore exploration holes as they went. It was wonderful. A mighty bonanza they sold to AGL, who then wasted a purported $1.2 billion over a decade on a hydrogeological nightmare. The New South Wales state government stated that the gas field was urgently needed to supply 15 to 20% of New South Wales' needs, and our protests would lead to, quote, the elderly freezing to death in their homes, unquote. We were terrible. We opposed... We protested, we blockaded, we won. They upreared the Rocky Hill coal mine proposal. Same valley, same space. Once again affecting the lives of 3,000 people, dividing the community and creating untold stress and anxiety. We opposed, we protested, we won. (laughs) Judge Preston in the Land and Environment Court this February upheld the state government and the international plan, well, sorry, the then the Planning Assessment Commission refusal of the mine due to the huge social impacts and climate change implications. Wrong time, wrong place. More importantly, the social impacts that would be wrought on Aboriginal cultural heritage featured strongly in Judge Preston's decision for the first time. The ripple effect of this judgment is now being felt across the world. The little town of Gloucester is now called the mouse that roared. The lessons from these wins that we learnt, you need strong teams, good processes, document writers, political advocates, media skills, strong values and resilience. And if any of you can help out with an NT, step up. 
accept help and guidance. We were assisted by over 32 different groups and organisations and politically supported by the New South Wales and Australian Greens. Essential to our victories, though, were Lock the Gate and the New South Wales Environmental Defender's Office. We owe deep gratitude to the many hundreds who supported, marched, donated, petitioned and who were with us in spirit. Their support and advocacy helped save our valley. So what kept us going for over 15 years? Well, we were never alone. The fire of injustice in our belly, the strength in our hearts and the strategy in our heads. Veteran activist Bob Brown says, don't listen to white noise. Stay strong on your path. Ignore industry and government criticisms and smear campaigns. Instead, expose their lies, the risks, the political donations and the lack of compliance. Document everything. Explain to those who want this industry that you care about the long-term future for your community and country. Sustainable jobs are the future. Our tactics? Exposing the risks. We handed this document, referenced and collated by Groundswell Gloucester's team, all volunteers, to department heads and politicians. We looked them in the eye and said, we hold you, after giving you this, personally, morally and ethically culpable for the harm you will inflict on our communities if this gas field goes ahead in Gloucester. It's not a legal threat. It's a human response to protecting your country, communities, culture and ecosystems. No one has the right to betray that protection. No one gets to hide behind their job, their role in government or industry. They are people before their role. Hold them to account. Continue to expose the systemic failures. Advocate for change. Knock on every door. Every conversation that you have is vital. We posted this document to the CEO and board members of AGL, to the investors and insurance companies and told them the same. At the AGL AGMs, we turned to the shareholder audience and stated to them that our communities, clean air, water and environments that we relied upon were far more important than their back pockets. And we did a 360 around all those, that looking at every shareholder in the eye in that room at the AGM. Do not be scared at AGMs, tell them how it is. Peaceful protest matters. Our advice from Groundswell Gloucester? Be assured of the power and passion of your united voice and actions. Stick to facts. Truth is everything. Media is your power. Documents are your tools. Stand up to those who try to take control of your community. Look after each other. Long-term stress tests all relationships. Stay focused and united. Take time out if you need it. Take care of yourself. Hold them to account. Tell them they are culpable. Be flexible. And as Muhammad Ali said, float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. Strategy is always the key. Keep that fire in your belly and the strength in your heart. You can win. You have support, love and commitment from many, many people. And now we're hearing a song by Stuart Nugget. He's singing in the Jingali language. It's where he comes from, which is round about the Beetaloo Basin area in the Northern Territory, and that's going to be the ground zero for this fracking, that they want to export to the coast and make zillions out of it, but the Aboriginal people there and all of us on the coasts who are against coal seam gas or any type of fossil fuels being con 
uh, exploited now want that to stop. His song is called Bunduru and it means food. It's about a boy hungry, crying for food, and then a girl hungry, crying for food. And then they call in the chorus, Mother, come back home. Mother, quickly, quickly come. Mother, come back home. Mother, quickly, quickly come.
The fact that new leaders are coming to the top, including many girls and women at the front, should come through to you from this podcast. I love the more feminine, persuasive and even joyful tone of this new coalition of people. We know it's serious, we know it's dire, but we need to put energy into finding the solutions. When our own Prime Minister made comments in New York about not wanting our children to be anxious or, as he said, contorted into one view, when he said he wanted to reassure them that we are going towards a strong economy and a pristine environment, I thought of the slogan I saw at the strike. It said, if you were doing your job, we'd be at school. And then the following week, Greta Thunberg at the United Nations was almost weeping with fury. You've heard her speech. I'm sure I'll play it to you next time. But she said, how dare you to the heads of state? You have stolen my dreams. My, you have stolen my childhood. This is all wrong. I should be at school. I shouldn't be up here. And yet you give me your empty words. Entire ecosystems are collapsing and all you can talk about is your fairy tales of economic growth. How dare you? Well, it's much more um, poignant when she says it because she's so young and so beside herself that people are not as energetic and in tune and single-minded about it as she is. But I think if you can see the YouTube, I'll attach the link to our podcast. So thank you for listening to this program uh, tonight. We've heard from the school strikers and all the other people who were on strike, uh, many from trade unions, many other sorts of social groups in the community who are helping out with the water crisis we've got in New South Wales. And... Then we heard from the uh, town hall meeting where the people had come down from the Northern Territory to get us in the cities and to get anyone who's listening to this podcast to understand that they are facing a very major environmental threat of the Beetaloo Basin in the Northern Territory being fracked for gas and the huge profits to be made from that will be nothing in comparison to the huge damage to the climate and to those people if it's ever exploited so we heard from them thank you to millie from the seed mob thank you to naomi hogan from lock the gate and to Stuart nugget who sang us that beautiful song and who is has come down himself from that beetaloo basin area in the northern territory to try to persuade people to be uh, on their side so this has been the beyond zero emissions show rather noisy one today thank you to David Rovix, thank you to Montaigne for her singing and to Stuart Nugget for that beautiful song. Good night and good luck.